Six Feet Under, Season 2, Episode 5, The Invisible Woman is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recast. That's right, it's the Six Feet Under podcast. We are revisiting the critically acclaimed HBO series episode by episode. I don't know if you heard, my name is Ariel and I am joined by my invisible woman. It is Amanda. Amanda and I am telling you. What? I'm not going. <laughs> The show tunes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, Ariel, not a lot of people know this because they're used to just hearing my voice, but I actually do not possess a physical form. This is incredible. This is probably like the biggest con in all of podcasting. This is breaking in, like, news. In all of time. <laughs> Amanda, no corporeal form. <laughs> Amazing podcaster. 10 out of 10. We love I am it. a disembodied voice. So really podcasting was my calling, I think you can say. <laughs> there was a thing in Bojack. I'm not going to get it right, but it's it was like they were describing someone and it was like a a something body of like anxious longing and something like instead of a corporeal form, that's all it was. Anyway, we digress. Uh, we're here to talk about a different invisible woman, not you. Stop making it about you, Amanda. Um, it's the invisible woman directed by Jeremy Padeswa, written by Bruce Eric Kaplan. Amanda, I don't know about you. I found this episode to be effing hilarious. Like I was dying laughing for so much of it. This is a this is a funny one. There's a lot of great moments here. Um, there's all this is also like a, some really heavy moments in this episode. Of course, of course. Yeah. Um, but we can't have one uh, without the other. No, not 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 in six feet under at least. Not with this cast of characters. Um, yeah, this one there were definitely a lot of funny moments here. We have um, you know, Brenda's little journey. We have um Claire and Parker who are always. A riot. Rico cracked me up in this episode. <laughs> He's like reached his breaking point. It's so funny. Everyone's this like, man. everyone is either hungover or like at their wits end. That's mm-hmm. basically the no. Story. Yes, lot, lot, lots of very good stuff here. And I was so delighted to see my beloved Adam Scott here, a little baby Adam Scott. This is crazy. I didn't think that Severance season two was going to be tied into Six Feet Under. This is wild. This is like the it's biggest smuggle. It's in the smuggle. same universe. It's all this in the same universe. This is second only to the news that you're actually invisible. The fact that Adam Scott showed up on this uh, Severance season two, Six yeah. Feet Under season two, it's perfect. Um, yeah. And and you know what, uh, Ariel, I think after we finish Six Feet Under, we need to recap uh, Fish and Coop coming this fall on ABC. <laughs> I love I love the music that I heard. I didn't see a lot. Well, I didn't see any of it. Neither none of us did, but from what I heard, it sounds like a smash hit for the fall. It's so old school. It's like that old school yes. maybe like maybe they would have played it on Friday nights back when Friday mm-hmm. nights were actually a thing on yeah, the broadcast let's bring network. It back. Let's bring back uh network television. Let's bring back must see TV. Mm-hmm. Must see TV. What was uh Friday? TGIF. That's mm-hmm. right. Uh, family matters. The good old uh, days. It did matter. Um, yeah. Okay. There's a, there's actually a lot of the good old days. This is a very twenty uh, two thousand two episode. Of, what was it? It was like the Temple Grandin uh, reference. I, I wrote it <laughs> I was like, this is an incredible moment. Like the cross section of all these random mm-hmm. things. Clearly, David watches movies. He's the big movie head in the family. He loves musicals. Show I appreciate guy. it. Yeah, yes. loves musical. Loves watching Claire Danes play Temple Grandin. I'm sure he was a fan. Um, all right. I think it's time to get into our quick plot recap Let's so we can jump get into, into all it. of this stuff and get hugged by the plot just like Temple Grandin herself. Um, sorry. Uh, okay, here we go. Welcome to Nightmare Fuel for anyone who lives alone. That's me raising my hand. Uh, Emily Previn chokes to death with no one around. I would find you, Ariel. I would not let you lie there. That's the sweetest thing you've ever said to me. I will find you. If you choke to death. Um, Also, I was thinking I really need to Google how to like Heimlich myself because I know it's not as easy, but it's possible. And under those circumstances, you don't have a lot of time. So you Mm -hmm. just have to go. You have to know. You can't Google in the moment. No, you can't Google. You're going to turn. Your phone is going to fall just like her glass of water did. That was awful. 
Uh, not to worry, though, because she already took care of her arrangements. Jess, that's so morbid. Uh, for her for her funeral services. Problem is, she has no friends or family to speak of that are still alive or interested in attending, and that sends Ruth and Nate on a mission to give her the funeral that she deserves. Ultimately, it's just the Fisher family and Rico. At her funeral, Ruth takes this opportunity to tell her children that she doesn't want to end up like Emily, and she wants intimacy and reads her children for filth. <laughs> She's speaking fiercely from the eye with yeah. the filth. Uh, and Ruth, this is Ruth rebuilding her foundation. You go, Ruth, says Jess. Uh, Brenda is writing an effing book because of course she is, and she decides her life isn't interesting enough, so she invites the uh, sex worker massage client who we'd met previously to lunch. And it's really to get all the gory details on the occupation of her client. And that's not enough even there because she offers to be her client's watcher for this one particular client who needs a third person to watch what they're doing. I didn't know this was a career option, Ariel. <laughs> I sit at home sometimes doing nothing. I could be making money sitting doing other things. Those would be billable hours, Ariel. Ali <laughs> Lasher has never been prouder of you for saying that. Um, Brenda, uh, so she's the watcher, and that's if you watch Fringe, it's a completely different thing. Uh, Brenda will do anything to feel something clearly, including proposing to Nate when they're obviously going through something with the ring that she found when she was cleaning and it wasn't even like her ring the whole thing was bizarre Nate says yes because when Brenda's involved he makes bad life choices <laughs> but also because you know we'll get into the because because that scene is interesting uh, meanwhile Claire is prepping to take the SAT I was thrown back in a tizzy back in time Amanda this is crazy which is every high schooler's nightmare yes agreed she freaks out when Parker cheats on the SAT by sending a different person who isn't her to take it on her behalf and says that she's go. Uh, and then Parker also says when she confronts Claire that she is going to have sex with Claire's guidance counselor, Gary, who apparently has great puns. I disagree. Gary decides the best. I mean, listen, if you're standing next to Nate, it's, it's no contest. Gary decides <laughs> the best thing to do is to bring up that there is sexual tension between him and Claire. For my money, this is the first mistake he made and I can't wait to talk about it. Why, why do the men in Claire's life suck? All right, finally, David goes on a date with Adam frickin' Scott of Severance himself and many other things uh, like Parks and Rec, et cetera, which I've actually never seen. That's on me. I've seen the first season. Anyway, uh, even gets Watch to make out down, with dude. him. Watch Party Down. I know. Oh, yes. Party Down, I have seen the first season, actually. Um, and even gets to make out with him. Keith who? Well, I'll tell you Keith who. Because Keith is having a terrible day. Oh As I'm goodness. laughing, I'm like, oh, God, this is actually really serious. He is a police officer, and he shoots someone. And it's poor David who is left in the lurch. First, he has to, like, be there for Keith and uh, consummate this. This is the real sexual tension that Gary was picking up on. Uh, between him and Claire, it was just transference from David. Sexual tension by proxy. By proxy, exactly. Um, they spend a night together seemingly, but David wakes up, Keith's not there, and David is left in the lurch. And then Keith says that they can't be friends anymore now that he's gotten what he wanted. Oy, what an episode. I was so fired up about how Brenda is the worst, but now I'm more fired up about how Keith is the worst. <laughs> I love when we get like a shiny new worst object yes. that we can like fix it. Um, dude, well, I mean, first of all, like not a laughing matter at all. We have um, a moment of unnecessary lethal force mm -hmm. by Keith, which is terrible. When this scene started and you have like, the couple and they're on drugs yeah. and it's a white woman and a black man. I was like, Oh, good Lord. No, not 2002. Yeah. And then, um, and then, and then Keith ends up shooting this person. Um, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's like, you know, police violence is, you know, a, something that can we continue to be in a national trauma about? Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, the show goes there and this is interesting to see this through, Keith's eyes, but this whole episode is a rough look on Keith. Like we've Absolutely. pointed out before, like the way that Keith is using David as like 
surrogate emotional support boyfriend when when it's convenient and then pushing him away in favor of his relationship with Eddie when it's not he's been toying with David and now he like ratchets that up to 11 by mm-hmm. coming to poor sweet David after he is you know rehearsing his holiday cards with Adam Scott like who's adorable like this you know public defender which is the opposite of a cop. So like <laughs> we love that. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really think past the the just the beta blockers. Just, uh, no. <laughs> I was blocked by the beta blockers. I knew he was a lawyer, but I didn't think through what uh the kind of lawyer he was. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. Um no, I mean like David is for the first time like able to be in a place where he's moving on in a healthy way with somebody that we're all really excited about, even though we probably have figured out right now that Adam Scott is not one of the stars of six feet under, but (laughs) damn it. (laughs) God damn it. But um, yeah, like David's ready to move on. And then Keith swoops back into his life, has sex with him in a moment of weakness. And like, yes, like Keith is under a lot of stress. And then immediately in the most like sanctimonious Keith way is just like, that was a mistake. I can't hang out with you anymore. Bye, David. And like, David's just like, whatever you want, Keith. Yeah. So I mean, credit, credit to David, at least in that moment for being like, yeah, sure. Whatever you need. Like he's so clearly, yes, disappointed in what Keith did, but like feels taken advantage of and is correct to be a little bit indignant about it Mm -hmm. um but obviously he's trying to be sensitive to what keith was feeling and that was all very serious and um but this is all i want to i want to place part of the blame on david a little bit because i will never forget and i will never stop bringing it up because it was simultaneously so hilarious and so sad when we talked about David being like, I don't have anything to do. Yeah, I'll follow you all day. Like, this is this is what mm-hmm. happens when you do that. Like, when you become No, this, this is person. why you have to build a fence. You have to have strong <laughs> walls. You can't you just need- have an open lawn. Then dogs yeah. will come. You need and, a like, lock on, on your door. You- yeah. Did you leave the door, just- Amanda, before we started to pod? <laughs> I just want to make sure because Brenda was very yeah. Um, No, I, my house has a lot of structural integrity. <laughs> I so appreciate how sure you were of that. Um, I, yeah, and it's it's really sad, but like this is, it's this is basically where we thought this was going to end up, but obviously yeah. because of the circumstances, it's in some ways like the worst case scenario of where this could end up because of the circumstances that led Keith here. But it was like this highway was only leading to one exit. And mm. oh, now either... we're now we're building roads. And now we're, listen, it's a whole city country. It needs infrastructure. <laughs> like, it's oh, over. this is the infrastructure bill. <laughs> yes, it's an election year. 2024 infrastructure. This is all I'm saying. We're my um, infrastructure girlies. <laughs> I'm a fangirl of infrastructure. I it's sad, like I said, and yeah. even though this is ex- this is like where they were careening towards, it's unfortunate and it's crazy to your point, like the timing of it of Nate, uh, excuse me, of David finally going on this date, seemingly really liking this guy, being unable to lie to this guy. We have yeah. seen David at times be like vaguely Brenda-esque with his lies and how quickly they come to him. And here he was like, wait, no, I can't kiss you because I have been dishonest. It was so cute. Yeah, their date was really cute. And like, obviously, um, you know, David is really scarred. Like when Ben says he has to leave, David's like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's no spark. I get it. Like I've been through this that before. So bad. <laughs> Oh, no, it's because the last guy burned me so hard that I had to, like, be one step ahead of you. I'm sorry. And then Ben's like, oh, but I thought there was a spark. And then David's like, yes, please, spark. (laughs) Yes, please. I don't have anything to do today. I will follow you around. (laughs) Um, Oh, Adam Scott. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we do get, like, when David is... (laughs) In the, you know, in the post Keith dumping him part of the episode, David has a headache. He's lying down. He's like doing like the ultimate depressed post breakup posture of like mm-hmm. lying in bed when the phone rings. When somebody comes in, he's like, Keith, is it Keith? And it's like, no, <laughs> not Keith. Keith is gone. 
that was crazy because Keith already told you he was gone, and then somebody shows up and you're like, Keith, did you come back? <laughs> no, he didn't come back. He just broke up with you a second time, even though you weren't even together. Uh, but 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 he does have a call from Ben in that episode. Like he yeah. does have a call from Ben, like saying, like, hey, I want to hang out on Saturday. So I hope he does. I hope that they continue to see each other. Yeah, I I want to look up Adam Scott's like total episodes. In this I season, know, but I don't have a lot of hope. Because... I know it's I I know I know it's not a lot. I know <laughs> it's not a lot <laughs> because um, of the situation. And again, mm-hmm. it's like all and this is something that happens in real life all the time. At least it's happened to me. Maybe I'm the David of like sometimes it's just the bad timing and you're like oh if we had met like six months before six months later a year whatever it is if you had worked through your issues yada yada uh or me with mine i can own them um things would have been different but now Mm -hmm. i don't know if i can be with you when i have suffered this like emotional fallout of being broken up with again like a thing that was we weren't even together like it's crazy yeah yeah um, so I don't know. Um, like Keith is also dealing with some other tough stuff in this episode. He like Taylor is uh staying with him now, and that's mm-hmm. hard at some point. He says, like, he hears his father, his first instinct is to get angry. Keith yeah, doesn't have like the get angry. <laughs> we see him get angry. Um, and I think like you know, Taylor is difficult and she's going through a difficult time. There's been a lot of upheaval in her life, so like everything that she's doing makes total sense to see mm-hmm. from a child in this situation, but it's also really tough to deal with. So Keith has a lot on his plate. Eddie is like not very supportive. Eddie sucks. At least in this one scene, like first of all, first of all, shout out to Keith being way too real with Taylor. And she's like, I'm not tired. I'm just going to sit in bed. Oh he's yeah. Like, yeah. You'll lie there for hours and hours and think about life. I was like, whoa, Keith, this is so You'll real. lie <laughs> awake wondering why life is so hard. That's what the rest of us do. That's what the rest of us do. No, don't tell her that she has to discover that on her own. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And then Eddie thinks it's so interesting. Like the, I guess when you think about, right, like the the way in which the parallel in which in this moment he's yeah. feeling a certain way and Eddie goes to be intimate with him. At first I thought it was like, oh, Eddie's kissing him. That's sweet. No, Eddie, you're getting the wrong message. It is not like sexy time right now. Yeah. Be, like hug him, console him, be there for him, talk to him. He's talking to you. Don't like try to have sex with him and then feel rejected yeah. when he doesn't do that. And then later, Keith, that's all Keith wants. He wants to have sex, mm-hmm. although with David, not with Eddie. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, sorry, Eddie. This was not this was not the play. You've been no, voted out. No, not a good look for Eddie. Eddie's like taking lots of L's lately. Taylor doesn't like him. He looks in the mirror too much. Which is crazy because we know he has bad depth perception. So like, what does he see when he looks? In <laughs> Maybe the that's mirror? what he's doing. Maybe he's trying to see like how close is this right. mirror. <laughs> he has to learn mirrors. It's a whole thing. <laughs> God, Eddie, poor Eddie. How ableist of Taylor. (laughs) Taylor doesn't know. All right. Now I'm ready to talk about how Brenda is the worst. Ariel, I cannot wait to read this book that Brenda is writing. Oh, my God. It's going to be so good. She's probably going to call it something dumb like sexworkers.com or something. Just like so stupid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course right it's very official um, i love yeah. um nate talk oh god it's so interesting and tragic their conversations across the episode mm-hmm. like when she's he's in the way she's like i need to get back there and he's like say excuse me say i need to get in the fridge like yeah. why are you being weird he's not being that weird by talking to you and standing in the kitchen he has to stand somewhere and like for you to be like oh you're in the way like clearly it's a metaphor for how he she feels like he's kind of like in her way in some way yeah she realizes it or not but it's so sad to watch them going through that when like yet again all these days are passing in this episode of nate not telling her what's going on yeah and we see him in the beginning have his like you know he's he's taking his pill he's clearly not feeling great mm-hmm. um and i i just hate watching them both go through this but ultimately it's usually like oh, brenda you kind of suck yeah a there's bit more. 
There's so much distance between them. And like Nate tries to at least like ostensibly be supportive. And he like he's trying. He's like very interested in her book. At one point, she says it's fiction. And Nate says, like, that's so ambitious. I love it. I hope I'm in it. I've always wanted to be thinly veiled. <laughs> Let me tell you, Nate, some of the shit you do is already very thinly veiled. <laughs> so like your wish has come true. But him saying that's ambitious is probably like one of the most Brenda things he has ever said. Uh -huh. Like it was so interesting to it's watch. It's such him a be backhanded compliment. Yes. It's like, it's like, like, oh, you're doing such an ambitious thing, but the subtext is like, you're never gonna pull that off. Like, <laughs> wow. I'm so off surprised. Yeah. You say that. <laughs> Aren't you biting off a little more than you could do? Like the Brenda mm -hmm. has has already backed out of several of these like creative endeavors of her hers. Um, but you know, when 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 Nate says he hopes he's in the book, she says, You might be in it if you ever do anything interesting. <gasps> <laughs> this was just like what in my mind had he and I could be wrong and please tell me if you feel differently but it's almost like she wouldn't have been that severe with what she said had he not said the thing about had he not like used mm, the word ambition. there's like, like a little like, bit of like aggressive subtext yes. like yes. running through all of this um yeah and like you know and Brenda sees it because she also knows she's bullshit like so that's <laughs> she's extra defensive about it when she sits down to write this book mm -hmm. it's like nothing comes to her what do you have to say that hasn't been said before all you do is observe yourself you're incapable of anything real so like Brenda is really grappling with what we've noticed all along <laughs> We have no issues with depth perception when it comes to no, Brent. <laughs> no, 2020 vision here. Um, and who does this, Ariel? I found this like so pretentious. The poking at your keyboard with a pencil. <laughs> it's so, yeah, it is very like, I don't know, like not even professorial. It's like something like a librarian would do when they were like searching for or something. Like, but yeah, it's so like even like, in I'm that so intellectual, lying exactly. and performative. Like yeah. even when she's alone, she can't help but like put on a performance for no one for herself because mm -hmm. she would probably argue she bores herself. So she needs to do something about that. Um, but it's not the one good thing is you can't hear you probably hear the click clack less right with the eraser. It's like you a think, little smoother. oh with the eraser. Yeah, I mean, your fingers are pretty soft, too. <laughs> the way you just held up your fingers, you're like, wait, but what about these? Just, Ariel, do not spoil my corporeal form. <laughs> and now they're gone again. Wow. It's crazy how you do that. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Brenda. Yeah, but all of this basically leads to Brenda needing to distract herself with something new. And what's better than... Melissa, uh, the sex worker and client of Brenda's, who Brenda is just dying to know more about this woman. Yeah, I remember like it was so clear when we first met her in that. I think it was two episodes ago at this point mm -hmm. um, when we first met her client. And it was just like Brenda was so thirsty to like know mm -hmm. more about that part of her life and thought she was so interesting and edgy, like to the point that we both made just now a little bit about Brenda, like she sees this person as so much more interesting than her. Like, wow, you, you lead a life that must be so whatever X, Y, Z thing that she imagines what the sex yeah. lifestyle would be like. Yeah, she really like romanticizes it. Like it's about empowerment. There's no shred of victimhood with you. Um, you know, you're you you really own this. You provide a service that you're well compensated for. Um, and like, I'm surprised she didn't say you're so brave for doing that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah, it's like really kind of fetishizing of this woman's like actual life. And, you know, and Melissa does say it's like, yeah, I used to have that feminist rationalization, but now I'm just more honest about it. And if I could get this much money for doing anything else, I would. Yeah, she's uh, she's a realist about it. Mm -hmm. She's trying to be. And the way Brenda's face falls so obviously when when uh, when she, when 
you just said her name, Melissa is her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Melissa's like, oh, everyone just always wants to ask me all these questions. And Brenda's like, damn. Question after question, like I'm some sort of freak. Yeah. And Brenda's like, oh my God, not me though. But so obviously that that's what she wants. Yeah. And she gives her three questions. Um, thankfully, like Brenda genie. is at least. It's like a genie. You rub the genie <laughs> bottle and you get three, three questions. Brenda would be the worst genie. Can you imagine you rub a lamp and Brenda comes out? You'd be like, oh, hell no. Get back in there. I don't want this. No. Run away. Um, Yeah. In this lunch, Brenda also does open up about how she's feeling about her relationship with Nate, which is kind of the first insight mm-hmm. we get from Brenda's perspective. She says that, like, you know, she loves him, but she feels separate from him. Um, right. At some point he became less present with her sometimes she thinks it's because she doesn't give him enough to be present for but then sometimes she thinks he's not present because if he was she would leave him this is crazy like the fact that it doesn't enter her mind that there's something else going on with him is I mean I guess tells you everything you need to know about her in a way or at least as far as this relationship because she can't take her she is always and we always talk about this she's always centering herself and yeah. everything in her life especially in her relationship with nate to the relationship's detriment where like she could just ask him one day hey you've been acting weird is everything okay but god forbid they should have like an honest conversation about right. their emotions that would be too much for her to face right and this is like the very first time that i saw this parallel between brenda and ruth Because later we're going to have this conversation, like where Ruth has her little outburst. Can't wait Mm -hmm. to get to that. That's those Mm -hmm. are always fun. But Ruth is very much like, I demand intimacy. Nate, you've been walking around like a zombie. It's like, (laughs) well, maybe ask him what's wrong. Like, maybe he's not doing that just as a personal affront to you, Ruth. Maybe he Uh... has his own internal life. Oh, I'm sorry. He has his own house in his own room (laughs) the shingles you know david had shingles one time (laughs) but it's very much like brenda is saying like oh nate isn't present with me and it probably is all about me like there's Mm -hmm. no interest in in what and he's tried like he you know he's not he's not perfect and i i'll be the first to point out when nate is being a butthead and he often Mm -hmm. is but he's doing something, whereas she's doing nothing in terms of trying to foster that connection. Yeah, he's. you can tell he's like tr- making an effort in whatever way he feels like he can and feels comfortable enough and vulnerable enough with her to be doing. And, you you know, your mileage may vary on whether you think it's good enough, whatever. But um, her, she just can't get out of her own way. And the Ruth point is a really interesting one because it's like you're using all your detective skills and then you're just stopping. Like you're a man, you're like, I have all these clues. Okay. That's it. I'm just going to put the clues up on the board and not try to make any connections between them. It's sad. It's so sad. It's like very human as we always talk about, especially with the fishers. It's like, it's so cute. None of them are Mm -hmm. for the most part with, with a few exceptions. None of them are monsters and their like actions and what they do and their decision-making. But like, you just want more empathy, just a little bit more. You're so close. It's mm-hmm. easy to say that, like, we're, like, you know, omniscient in a way as viewers. But, like, Ruth, you you stop paying attention to your house for long enough to notice that something is wrong with him. This is your son. Please ask him what's wrong. Mm. We'll get back to Ruth. But before we leave, Brenda, we have to get to the big moment at the end of the episode. Episode. Ariel, congratulations, Nate and Brenda, on your engagement. This is wild. I I don't remember this happening, and I don't. The scene starts, and I'm like, wait, where is this going? She's at like, is she joking? She found the ring. Like the way that they are both kind of so unsure, very mm-hmm. obviously unsure, I should say, and not really saying i mean at at, the, at least not really saying how they're actually feeling she talks about the ring and how she found it and blah 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 and i'm like okay wait are you did you actually just ask him to marry you yeah. this is me in the scene and then she mentions i forgot what it is that she mentions then nate's like well i'm not going to answer that like why he's acting a certain way or whatever and he's like yes i marry i'll marry you i love you like it's just 
the next yeah. best thing to them actually talking about what's going on between them. It's crazy to watch to the previous point. Like we saw the, the little like escalation uh, in their passive aggressiveness. And this is like an escalation of a horrible idea that it's almost like a game of chicken. Like, yes, who's going to to call the bluff that this is not really happening. They thought it was an exercise in improv and you can't say no. Yes. And right. Yes. And I will marry you. Let's do it right now. It's it's so crazy. Yeah. This. This starts with Nate asking and like, you know, the the Emily Priven funeral kind of runs throughout this episode. And it's like this wonderful sort of thing that everybody, all of the Fishers sort of project their own fear of 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 loneliness and mm-hmm. abandonment and being alone onto this woman in different ways, which I thought was really effective and very fascinating. And Nate asks Brenda if they have as much intimacy as she wants Mm -hmm. to which she completely deflects and says, I don't have as much of anything as I want. Date says, that's not much of an answer. And she says, well, it wasn't much of a question. This is crazy. What are we even talking about? Like, I don't, she's basically saying, she's, I don't have much of anything that I want. It's like, I don't even give answers that other people want because I don't have much of it. Like it's, what is, this was in a, in a, giant sea of weird conversations that they have had this is probably the weirdest it's like bizarre to watch it happen in real time and we know because she's talked to melissa that she doesn't feel like they have the same intimacy that they used to Mm -hmm. and instead of answering the question to deflect she asks him to marry her because she found her grandfather's fraternity ring um What's more and, patriarchal than that? And, and, and then and then Nate says, like, I wasn't expecting that. And she, <laughs> and she, she doesn't asks, really ask. It's like the most passive no. question. She says, be my wife. Yeah. Um, when he like, says, even that, it's, it's like a joke. No, it's a you joke. And he's like, is that a no? Sincere, and he says, well, yeah. it's kind of an ugly ring. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Nate, get her. Get her. <laughs> Oh, one for the ages. But then, like, I don't know. There's something about Nate. Like, you know, she says she doesn't know what she'd do if she lost him. And he's like, and then he's kind of like, yeah, of course I'll marry you. I love you. I love you. Yeah, let's get married. It's, like, so weird. And now they're getting married. Allegedly. What? (laughs) Allegedly, supposedly. Like, I don't see how either of them come out of this conversation feeling like something positive was accomplished i guess yes they're quote-unquote getting married as far as they're both concerned as much as we know and like how could anyone feel good about how this went down it couldn't be any less any more like vague and uh just strange like i said and like poor Nate, if you if you're thinking about just his side of it for a second, he's like, okay, I may die. Maybe this is a good idea. Like, well, yes. let's get married. No, I mean the only thing that these two characters are more afraid of than being alone is actually being together. Like they're mm-hmm. so afraid of their loneliness, but they're also even more afraid of vulnerability and yeah. intimacy. And like that tension like i said like this game of chicken playing out between the two of them was like oh like are we gonna die alone and miserable or are we going to just force each other to spend time with each other like with a distance between us that we never penetrate it's like <laughs> like I love pick that. your poison on this given day like brenda found a ring so i guess they're mm-hmm. gonna get married I guess I guess the universe is sending me a sign like it's either this or sex work. So I guess I choose this. Well, the thing that I really thought with the, um, you know, with the happy coincidence of me remembering almost nothing from this show is uh-huh. like, oh, she's going to tell him that she's going to be a prostitute or that she's going into sex work. Like she's going to tell yes. him about the thing with Melissa. Right. I, I thought at least be- she was going to tell him about the incident. Yeah. And then she's going to be like deal with this Nate like I'm a lady of the evening now like that was where I thought the jumpiness was going 
And I think that that's intentional with the writing that we think she's going to go down this one path and mm -hmm. nobody sees this coming. Nobody, nobody. sees this Not Certainly not Brenda, not Nate. Like nobody, mm -hmm. nobody. knew that this was going to happen. This is, it's like the meme. Nobody, nobody, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> nobody. Brenda, Brenda Nate, will you marry me? <laughs> no, no. Will you be my wife? Like it's so condescending. <laughs> in a way like in her what she believes like a, a quote-unquote wife means and to put mm. him in that uh category it's just, oh my god it's it's so rich and also incredibly bizarre like i keep saying and i just i don't know i don't know what to do i don't like as a viewer i'm not even in this and i'm like i don't know what to do with you i don't know what to do for you i want to help you nate brenda kind of also but like i don't know what to do it's yeah yeah because because Nate is like so, I mean, I, I was thinking when I was watching this episode um, that the show is getting a lot out of Nate's like mm -hmm. meditations on mortality and yeah. whether his life is meaningful. And it's sort of impressive that it continues to reflect on those themes and like, yes, the themes are so rich, but it continues to work with those themes without it retreading the same territory or getting stale, yeah. at least in my opinion, I'm continuing to enjoy that. And the Emily Priven funeral really, you know, sticks with Nate. It obviously makes an impact on Ruth. I think those are the characters for whom it has like the most impact. We also see interesting stuff from Rico mm -hmm. and Claire and David, um, in response to Emily Priven lying alone. But we really know nothing about this woman aside from the fact that she keeps wheat thins in her refrigerator, which is psychopath behavior. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, she likes them cold. <laughs> <laughs> you have no words. No words. No yeah, corporal form and no words. No <laughs> This is just how it goes sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it is. I, I I love that point that you made because I agree. On a lesser show, we would have been so tired of this version of Nate kind of being like this in-between space and like very, very slowly certain members of his family are finding out and it would get so old so quickly. And here it's like they could be in this space for the rest of the season and somehow it feels and somehow yeah. like make it work and make it most importantly, like emotionally compelling. It's, it's crazy. I do just want to shout out though, how he's, I love, I love Nate's brain sometimes. And he's like, maybe I do know this song. And it's like, what if I sang oh my the, 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 whatever, the punk, semi-punk version mm -hmm. of, of this song. And I was like, oh my God, am I back at Webster Hall watching Taking Back Sunday? Or is this just Nate? Because I, didn't hate it. I have to say. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, it's it's so fun because we get these like dream musical sequences. We've mm -hmm. had them from David a couple times. We had that. I think we had one from Claire, or maybe mm -hmm. Claire and Ruth were just backup dancers. But I love when the show does these, and this is our first time we see Nate. And of course, it's not show tunes and sequence. It's gonna be like his punk rock like performance mm -hmm. of this um, he's got the was... sideburns for it mm -hmm. but he does say he hates the crappy song <laughs> he's like after listening to this song like th for three uh three times over or whatever i you know i've decided i don't like this song which is annoying i love the scene earlier where david sang to him and he's like oh you don't know the song it was so cute and david it's then so he gets a little cute. carried away and then yeah. he notices what he's doing and he like reigns it back in we've all been there we've all, we've been, all there, been there i did it at the beginning of the podcast i live there um yeah it's it's really interesting to watch nate go through all this as we keep saying and like again detective claire she's like Oh, when yeah, she sees she... him, she's like, hey, are you okay? Because your eyes look kind of weird. And she's not being to her credit. She's she's being kind about it. Like, she's clearly worried, but she's not being overbearing the way yeah. like Ruth would be. She's just, like, checking in on her brother, who she obviously is worried about. Yeah, it's very, very sweet. Um, yeah, but, like, the th like, Nate is sort of dealing with this, like, why would this woman be alone? Like, was she secretly like an asshole like was she a terrible person or is this what she wanted and it's like very much Nate grappling with his own fears of being alone and 
is he choosing to shut people out because that's what he wants? Or is there something that he's going to regret? Is he going to choke one day and die and Mm -hmm. have nobody at his funeral? I mean, it's like for these people who see funerals every day, who have funerals in and out of their house, like, Mm -hmm. of course, you notice like, oh, there's ones that are filled with family and loved ones. And then there's this funeral that, Nobody goes to. There are no mourners. Like, she had her wishes. Was this really what she wanted? Mm. Or is she like Ruth, who's going to be terrified of ending up with this outcome? Yeah, it's so sad uh, to to see Ruth like that at the end. But to to the Emily, to the Emily part of it, I think... It's so interesting to watch Nate go through, I mean, all of them in different ways, but Nate, I think, especially go through the different permutations of like, what if she was like this? What if she just, you know, was uh, something, who was it? I think was it was David. Was was David was like, just again, this is when he talks about Temple Grandin, like yeah. the high functioning thing. I'm yeah, like, she just went in a machine at night that felt like a hug and that was all the intimacy <laughs> she needed. Yeah, to this, Claire has like a great moment where she says, um, I don't know why a person has to be labeled as mentally ill just because she had a life that doesn't conform to your Im- to the image in your head. Mm-hmm. Maybe she had the life she wanted, a life without the hassles of other people. And Ruth uh, has this outburst like, what kind of life is that? <laughs> <laughs> Ruth, uh, always speaking fiercely from her eye. That's how it goes for her. Um, yeah, Ruth is continuing with her the plan psychobabble throughout this episode. Um, she's so rude to David. She says like, if somebody moved into your neighborhood and renovated the house across the street, then you might feel like your house is a little bit shabby to which David says, did you just insult me? <laughs> it's so interesting that they kind of pick up in a way from that conversation in the last episode where he, uh, was insulted by her outwardly Mm -hmm. even whether or not she understood it that way and then now he's like wait did you just like extra more thinly veiled insult thinly veiled just like nate always wanted to be um Um, and then she and she's like no of course not like you said but it's we're, we're all with david like kind of Doing the Parvati face on traders, like oh hey. my goodness, the Parvati <laughs> face. Um, yes, no, we're the squinting and side eye abounds mm-hmm. in this. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, the children are being like a little bit rude and diminishing to Ruth by laughing at all of the plan language that she's using. Like, of yeah. course, you can fully understand this as like you know being the an adult child of a parent that we definitely like you have to eye roll from time mm-hmm. to time it but like pain. but Ruth is being like super sanctimonious about like I'm in this I'm in this program and I have my life together but then we see like in her in her fantasy in this episode that she like maybe she's rebuilt her house and her house is in like excellent working order and it's structurally incredible but the house is empty like whatever work she thinks she's done it's not addressing the thing that was really bothering her to begin with and she says it at the end of the episode when she gets her three children together um you know she asks them did any of you wonder why I wanted to rebuild the structure of my life. Did you even care? And she says that she doesn't want to end up like Emily Priven. Life's hard enough without people to help you through it. And when Nate says like, mom, you have us, she says, no, I don't. And, you know, Nate's been walking around like a zombie for months. Okay. That's, that's fair. But did you ever ask him why? She said, David's lying down in the middle of the day. Like, okay, one day he can't have like one day. Like this is, this is out of pocket. Like this is no, like David, like you can't give David shit for having like one afternoon where he's out of sorts. Um, 
And then he says, you know, that you can't even look in Claire's direction without it being this big imposition. And she demands, give me intimacy. Um, Nate suggests that that should happen more organically. And she says, fine, I guess I'll keep waiting for it. Like I have been, I just pray it happens before I die. And just, this is just so emotionally manipulative and passive aggressive and needy and self-involved. And like we do, I like Ruth is a lonely woman and that Mm -hmm. is, there is a sadness about that. And I do think she's a sympathetic character, but the way that she's so solipsistic in this self focus Mm -hmm. when her children are struggling. And as I'm saying this, I'm like, okay, well, this is somebody who dedicated her life to raising a family, Mm -hmm. to being a supportive partner for her husband, her husband dies. Like it's the classic bind that women and mothers are in where like they neglect themselves and then they're bitter about neglecting themselves. And then they're selfish for focusing on themselves. It's like very tough, I think to thread this needle. Mm -hmm. Um, But like Ruth, I think is especially in relationship to Claire, who is still like a literal child who lost her father and has been going through like all she's also taking the the SAT it's like this it sucks to be in high school like this is all really hard and Claire is going through it and she's tried at moments to connect with her mother um but Ruth is really incapable of doing this if it's not on her terms and shouting give me intimacy in the middle of your foyer after forcing your children to attend a stranger's funeral is like not the best way to go about this. Yeah. I think the, the Claire part of it is interesting because, and there's a little bit of what you're talking about or her age and her being in high school, but like, that's just kind of how Claire is going to be at that age. Like, I can't look at you without being an imposition. Yes, that's called being a teenager. That's like what is going to yeah. happen. Like, I don't, it's not, not fun. with my children, Ariel. It's not fun for everyone. That's so funny because as I'm saying it, I'm thinking about my niece and nephew and I'm like, please, no, please. Oh, God, anyone but you. Um, thankfully, there's a lot of time before that. Um, but the Nate thing, like, Nate, try, and this is a moment where Nate's empathy, shines through a little bit where he's like okay okay i see that you're trying even though you're very uh your uh your delivery is way off but Mm -hmm. i understand what you're trying to say and what you're trying to achieve this is this kind of thing just has to happen a little more organically and you you know it's like faint praise to call that kind but i think it is he at least he's the one out of the three of them that like is trying to connect with Ruth mm-hmm. after she has bared her soul in this way however you know inappropriately it came out which I agree it's like it's so from a mother after they lost their dad it's just like oh god I get it you need us but like we have our lives and you have to try to meet us where we are where's the part where's the part in the plan where you like leave your house <laughs> and you go to their house you, you're always yeah. talking about their house go their house and go, go see what go they visit like, bring yeah. bring cookies or something um Ugh. yeah well that i don't i yeah so the plan stuff, and you know the plan stuff is tough to take at some point david says like we don't think it's crazy we just think it's weird like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like way too honest again but very realistically like a child speaking to mm-hmm. a parent um so that's uh that's ruth's outburst here um it ends with her like the episode ends with her um you know crying and looking at Uh, their baby pictures and i always do like love when you get the actors baby pictures and you get to see like oh that's little laura ambrose right i see i'm like oh i can see it that's yeah yeah um so and it's so interesting to me that like an episode that i started the podcast by saying is like one of the funnier ones in my memory certainly most recently mm -hmm. in the in the run ends on this like super super mm-hmm. pretty bleak note of Ruth just like feeling all of her feelings and all of her worries have come to light because of Emily Priven. Yeah. Yeah. Um we still have Claire to talk about it and yes. 
Oh boy, Claire is taking the SATs. She's studying really hard. Parker is not. Parker is rating the affability of all the male teachers. Now, Ariel, I need to know. All right, let's hear the full critique of uh, is it Gary? Gary's buns? Yes. First, there's I have to place, ask you. There's is... a Barry's buns <laughs> in my neighborhood. They sell cinnamon buns. It's like the best cinnamon buns in town. So That's Gary's hilarious. buns makes me think of Barry's buns. But go ahead. I have to ask you first, though. Do you think Mr. Uh, Griffith's uh, forearm hair is hot? Because sometimes it's unkempt. It's and unkempt. I can't really Oh, that's like, so I crazy. Really, like the I, little, it's like showing like ankle, like when you're wearing a dress, like, oh my God, this like, it's so untoward, this thing. If you so saw, ridiculous. if you saw my husband, you would know I'm not one to speak about unkempt body hair. <laughs> <laughs> but back to, speaking of butt, back to Gary. <laughs> Gary's I, uh, Okay. I will say that probably in the grand scheme of teach of other teachers and you know the the fit of the pants isn't helping no it was in, it was 2002 this was it the was, worst right, exactly. era I, i'm not holding pants. right i'm not holding like the fashion in particular against him but the fit is unfortunate for mm. his figure i think he has more of an ass than you than it seems like okay but i think it's like uh, you know, ass in a sea of no ass. If that makes sense, <laughs> there's so much. There's so much no ass, but like the littlest uh -huh. glimpse of ass, you're like, wow, the ass. But like Parker hasn't met Nate, and that's all I'm gonna say. Uh -huh. like, that's all I'm gonna say because there have been shots. I haven't been called this before because I'm trying not to be like, uh, I don't know who would be like this, a Brenda about it, I guess. But like, mm. there are specific shots where they just li like Nate turns around uh -huh. and the camera just sits there. And I'm like, Oh, you know exactly what you're doing. Six feet under Alan ball. I know exactly what this is. I'm not falling for this. My house is very intact and I welcome Nate. into my house. <laughs> to be fair. We don't see Gary in his like jogging outfit. Yeah. The way we see Nate, but like, yes. yeah, I, I, I agree that it's More like jeans. a little bit like flat. We don't better get fitting jeans, better fitting jeans. Okay. Well, that was great, Ariel. Thank you for that critique. <laughs> this is why I'm here. This is Parker really needed you at that library. Table. I would have pushed Claire off of the chair. But like Parker, listen to me. Like, let me see that list. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. How many teachers are at this school? If like we're getting into the ranks of like 22, and Claire's like, that's pretty good. Yeah, right. That's crazy. Like this, it does seem like, like hundreds a, of male teachers, like a small city. Like when you look, uh -huh. I'm trying to think of like the few exterior shots and some of the yeah. uh, more interior shots that we've seen of the school. It does seem pretty big now that we're like, we're talking about LA public school. Thing. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I've, that's not my, that's not where I'm from. <laughs> that's so. not the kind of doctor that I am. I didn't have 22 <laughs> effable male teachers in high school. I'll tell you no, that. No, I did have a, um, I didn't have a lot. I, did, I was going to say I did have a lot of male teachers, but I don't know that I would call. It's hard to look back now, but I mean, it was a small city. It was like 4,000 kids. Um, wow. wow. But uh, total. But um, yeah, not my list would not have been long until, as long. I'll tell you that. So the big thing that Claire is dealing with in this episode is um, I guess it's all coming out in her sessions with the guidance counselor. Like she's starting to be much more involved in school and taking the SATs, which we know that she was like, I'm not going to college. And she like has been sort of obsessed with the idea of like forging her own path, like mm -hmm. not doing what everybody expects of her. She like sees that as a cop out. Mm -hmm. um, and I love all of this stuff from Claire because it's like, she's such a precocious 17 year old mm -hmm. who's like not as smart as she thinks she is, but mm -hmm. is like really, really smart. Yeah. And I feel like it's written so well that she's not a parody. Mm -mm. Um, and you hear unlike her and Parker, you, unlike Parker, <laughs> who is not written particularly well and is as Claire says, you're a parody, parody of yourself. Of yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. <laughs> Um, yeah, I love how Claire just says these things to Parker and she just doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, Parker's like, whatever. <laughs> whatever. It's in that sense, to Claire's credit, she has always been very honest with Parker. She was yeah, whether she was calling her a danger slot or like some kind of wonder slot, or you know, <laughs> judging her very openly. Whatever, to, whatever to modifier to slut. Yeah. 
judging her to her face, Claire cannot be accused of being dishonest with her. No, no. Claire is not fake. Claire is for real all the time. She's the genuine article. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, as she's starting to invest more in her future, like Gary points out, and this is very good. I think he's Mm -hmm. very astute that there's this fear of failure if she really does try to invest in her future this idea of the fluorescent light showing who mm-hmm. you are and all of your pock marks and sco- scars and is there, are the there is there are there fluorescent lights in the basement of the fisher funeral home like was oh. that like a piece of it like she has seen like she's the seen actual... it i mean rico really needs the light so that yeah. he can do his work that's right. like you need to see all those little scars um mm-hmm. Um, so she starts to like sabotage herself or become obsessed with somebody else as a way of distracting from that fear and avoidance. And he's doing good work. He's pointing this stuff out. And amidst all of this, like Parker introduces this idea of effability and Mm. that she's going to seduce Gary. She thinks that she could like what did she say? I, I could I could bag him big time or something. <laughs> Not just small time, big time. Big and this time. is like a retaliation move against Claire, who's pissed at Parker for the, you know, SAT identity swap thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like extra messed up that she's like, oh, I'm going to sleep with your guidance counselor because you're mad at me. Like, it's what? And this is where Gary loses me. A little bit. Wait, before right, right before that, I love the scene. This is one of the things that made me laugh so much when she's like throwing the stuff at the wall, Mm. and he's like, "This is amazing. This is great. I've never seen you so fired up." And he's like, genuinely happy to see her show emotion. And then he's like, "Wait, wait, not that. My nephew." It was so so funny. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's seen at some point Parker has because this is where my theory comes into play, and I'd Mm. love to hear what you have to say. We're like. Parker in I think he still has to make the bad judgment call of saying this to Claire what you're about to say but mm-hmm. I think there was a little bit of inception from Parker in this off camera conversation that Parker had with Gary. Yes, definitely. And Claire brings up Parker mm-hmm. and it's like what Claire is saying is like oh if you're going to f Parker, mm-hmm. then you should, then you uh, better wear a condom because she probably has <laughs> hepatitis C at least. <laughs> okay. <Please>. Um, <laughs> and this is like, and then, you know, and then Gary says this like thing is like, oh, you know, young women talk to me, like they approach me, it happens. I'm like, okay, Gary, get over yourself. Yeah. <laughs> this is already going down a bad road. Um, And then he addresses the sexual tension between us. He says it's a normal part of transference, countertransference. Do you have anything you would like to contribute? And Claire's just like, no, I do not. not. So, okay. So what Gary is talking about with transference and countertransference is something that does happen. I'm not going to say often, but it happens in relationships, in the therapeutic relationship. It's actually like, the term transference comes from the Freudian tradition and the idea of addressing and dealing with transference and countertransference mm-hmm. is uh, central to certain types of psychotherapy, like psychodynamic oriented psychotherapy and transference are the feelings that a client transfers onto the therapist. So mm-hmm. often it's used to talk about romantic feelings, but it could even be like maternal feelings mm-hmm. or, um, you know, like friend, it could be, you know, and it's the idea that you have this kind of safe person that you can project right. whatever feelings that you might struggle with uh, being open to in other relationships in your life, like that the therapist is a safe place for that to happen. Right. And then counter transference is acknowledging that the therapist will often project feelings back onto the client that mm-hmm. are in part related to their own issues and are in part a reaction to the transference relationship. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of therapeutic approaches where the therapist might acknowledge that a transference countertransference is taking place. Mm -hmm. I would say that in the case of a guidance counselor that is treating 
children and adolescents that you don't acknowledge <laughs> that there is a sexual tension happening mm -hmm. in the relationship for a variety of reasons. Uh -huh. And it's like, it would be one thing if Gary decided to address what Claire had said about alleging that he was pursuing Parker mm -hmm. and say like, would that make you feel a certain way? Because it would mean that maybe like your friend, I was giving attention to your friend instead of you and like talking right. about it in ways that are not as like sexually valence. Like mm -hmm. I think that that might've been an appropriate thing and a difficult thing to handle. And I bet like that Gary might have had situations in the past where yeah. One of his students has said something like, oh, you're the only one who understands me, like, and has expressed romantic feelings for him. So it's not to say that, like, this is, like, a taboo thing that, like, is not on the table. But given, like, what Claire has been bringing to this, like, I just think he took this up to 11 <laughs> in a way that he did not need to. And that, like, it could have bad consequences yes. in two ways it could be claire like feeling uncomfortable because now she feels like like sexually or romantically objectified by him in some way mm -hmm. that wasn't coming from her right. and that could drive her away or it could incept in the idea that there is some sort of romantic spark between them and that she should pursue it and like both of those things would be bad and that's why this <sighs> yeah. is like super delicate and i think mm -hmm. like the way that he brought this up was really clumsy. He was probably bringing a little bit more of his own counter transference into this than he ever should yes, have. Get him, get him, Amanda. <laughs> this is what and I'm saying. Otherwise, I think he's been like really, really good. And it's like, yeah. gosh, Claire needs it. Like Claire <sighs> needs like a stable, reliable adult person. Um, is... So, Oh, so Gary, I don't like you, this is I don't care about like, you know, the buns are not going to make up for this. This is <laughs> this was a misstep. Yeah, big blunder. I agree. And it's so hard to your point to watch him be so wrong about something when he's been so right and so helpful, most importantly, and so important to her growth most recently and like having an outlet, especially everything that happened with Gabe, like there's a way in which he has saved her like you know that sounds like yeah. maybe up to the 11 that he's taking this thing to but like it's re it's a very very delicate time mm -hmm. full stop for her because of everything that has happened to her plus her age and then for you to and that's why I had my theory about like the Parker conversation like whether she said something like oh I know you're Claire's guidance counselor that's kind of right. hot like wh however she whether very openly like made some kind of accusation that you know Claire wants to sleep with you but I do or just bringing up Claire and then her being sexual with him like there are all these ways in which she could have sent him down this road and it is in my opinion, irresponsible if that yeah. is the case of like him to allow a separate conversation that he had with this yeah. person who is actually his, uh, you know, uh, client student and like Parker isn't at all. So like, why would you let that affect it? I agree. The way he brings it up is so clumsy and awkward and horrible. And most of all, in my opinion, whether this matters or not, this wasn't coming from Claire at all. Like, no. yeah, there are, to, to your point about explaining so so beautifully and clearly transference and, and counter-transference, like there's a way in which maybe she had it and didn't realize it and that's okay, whatever. She's not a monster. But there was no, in my estimation, uh, clue or like any flag, any red flag yeah. that, that was apparent in her behavior towards him. If anything, she was reluctant to open up to him. And there was a way in which like he had finally achieved her being open, whether it was the throwing or talking about mm -hmm. her life in a certain way. And now he just like ruined it. I was like, yeah. Oh, and maybe, and like maybe the reason that Claire brings up Parker and is upset about it is because she's jealous. Maybe, but maybe yeah. the reason she brings it up is because the idea that Gary is corruptible and would sleep with a high school yes. student makes him not the safe person that Claire yes. needs him to be. And like by saying we have sexual attention, like then he becomes <sighs> yes. like 
not safe to her. Yeah. And all these other, and just like all these other people that she is right to not trust, like the guy that Parker was sleeping with when they went on that uh, right. fake camping trip, like all these people who have fallen for her idiotic whims and just like, it's so disappointing. I agree. I really think, and we don't know. And again, it's one of those things on the show that like, we don't know. So we, it's interesting to kind of consider, but to me, it is exactly the latter, what you said. And yeah. she's just like, oh, wow. So you're just like everyone else. And that's so disappointing. Right. And like, and Parker is also like becoming this thing that like, she ruins things. Like she ruins the, the, the hiking trip. She ruins Gary. She ruins the SATs by showing that everything <laughs> is like bullshit and you can't trust it. Yeah. Like anything that Claire's trying to do in a genuine heartfelt way, Parker ruins it. Um, so that was really disappointing, Ariel. But the rest of the episode, I mean, it was it, it's disappointing. I'm disappointed in Gary, but I'm thrilled with Six Feet Under. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the fact that it's making us feel all these powerful emotions is mm -hmm. is to its credit, even as infuriating as some of these characters are acting, whether it's Keith yelling at Taylor or Gary being a butthead here. He's he's King Butthead in this. Oh episode. wow. Maybe he doesn't he doesn't have Nate's butt, but he does have Nate's <laughs> butt. He can take the throne at least for this one episode from him. Um oh, yeah, yeah. well that's amazing. So we'll be back next week talking mm -hmm. about episode six of Six Feet Under, um, season wow. two. Ariel, until then, where can people keep up with you? Six, six. I hadn't even considered that. Uh, I am covering movies every week with Grace Leader. We are covering Argyle this week, which, oh. woof, that movie. I We have a Meow. lot to say. <laughs> Meow. There's a cat involved. Yes. Um, just, wow. Like, a lot of a lot of missteps and curious choices. Uh, but not boring-ish, uh, for the most part. Um, and then also covering Masters of the Air with uh, DM Philly, a.k.a. Rich, every week and that's on apple tv plus and that's like just i think like three episodes this week will be the fourth episode in like a nine episode season so look out for that what about you um i am covering true detective night country and this is a fast season and we are flying through it we're going to have the penultimate episode releasing on wow. friday because of the super bowl on streaming it's going to be on hbo on sunday night but on max on Friday. It's yes. been thank really you, Super Bowl. <laughs> it's been it's been a great season. It's had a lot of rich content to get into, and I've been talking about it with Grace Leader. So you can uh, keep up with everything that I'm doing on X, where I am at Dr. Amanda R. That's Dr. Amanda R. And Ariel, you and I will be back next week talking about Six Feet Under season two, episode six, in a place of anger. And until then, dear listeners, rest in peace.